The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, David Austin, is a mental coach for Olympics athletes and has worked with the LA Dodgers, Texas Rangers, and other teams and individuals. Dave's coaching abilities, in part, come from personal experience as a former professional athlete and world-ranked tennis player. Dave's coaching abilities and insights about life also come from his near-death experience, the result of a terrible automobile accident at 19 when the overturned car pinned his legs. This NDE and his miraculous healing changed his life forever. Today, as an international best-selling author and speaker, Dave has lectured at Harvard, the United Nations, and the Pentagon, as well as in Uzbekistan and Chennai, India. As founder of the personal development company Extreme Focus, Dave's mental performance training methods are not only endorsed by the Pentagon and used by U.S. Army Rangers and Navy SEALs, but also with NFL, MLB, PGA, Olympic athletes, and Fortune 500 companies as well. Dave, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for reaching out to me. As you know, as in our earlier discussions, it hasn't been something that I could always say that. <laughs> so, so. Well, this is uh, if this is part of a breakthrough uh, in the in the uh, discussion of your um, NDE. That's I, I'm glad that we can be of service to you, uh, Dave. You also credit your success in part to being raised by your dad, a Navy chaplain who stormed beaches during World War II without a gun and gave communion on his belly while machine guns fired overhead. So. Tell us a little about your father's courage and faith at Iwo Jima. Well, you know, as you know, Iwo Jima was one of our bloodiest battles. Uh, you know, some, uh, you know, World War II, we had a lot of bloody battles, but that one is really stands out. Well, especially in my life because my dad was there. But the story goes that, you know, when the first wave went in uh, to hit the beaches at Iwo Jima, 50% of those in that first wave were killed. I mean, think about what, human beings, you know, fellow Americans were willing to do for our freedom that we have today. It's mind-boggling to me. But anyway, the next wave went in and it was a it was a tough battle all day long. And finally, they cleared the beaches and uh, the admiral goes, where's Chapman Austin? It's time to go to shore. We got to go to shore. And the sailor came up and said, sir, he was on the first boat this morning. <laughs> and we didn't hear that until his retirement. I'm like, dad, you know, we're, you're lucky to be alive. We're lucky to be alive. Why did you go on the first boat? And all he said was, that's where I was needed most. I love God and I love my Marines. And that has been a very inspiring aspect for me in my life, more so even after he passed. I hear his voices. I hear it clearer now than I did when he was right next to me because I think I was uh, you know, it's dad, you know, sure. But he didn't, you know, that, that aspect of where am I needed most? I live my life that way now. Where am I needed most in everything I do? And when yeah. you said he was on his belly giving communion, that was at the flag as they're putting it up when machine gun fire was still going off. You know, that famous fa- flag of, uh, you know, of our freedom. 
Yes. Yes. Wow. Well, Dave, at 19, you nearly died in a terrible car accident on a peculiar, <laughs> peculiarly named road called Fish Ranch Road. Tell us how that happened and about your resulting NDE. Well, you know, the truth is, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I, it was my summer between my freshman and sophomore year in college. And I went and met a friend, a friend of mine in Berkeley. My family lived in Piedmont at the time. My dad was a chaplain at, chaplain at the uh, Oak Knoll Naval Base. And um, I'd come back from college for the summer for a few weeks and um, went over and met them at a bar. And um, yes, we had, I had a few beers, you know, I don't know if I told you that, you know, that 19 year old, you think you're invincible. Sure. And then all of a sudden they, they go, okay, we're going to get in the car. Let's go. And I didn't even know this was a friend of a friend of mine, but I didn't know how much he had drank before I got there. Became very obvious once we got in his big Oldsmobile convertible and he started driving like a madman. I wanted out. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. This might be fun for you. It's not fun for me. But and also I was in the back seat and and, and I couldn't get my seatbelt. It wouldn't snap. So I'm actually literally holding on to the seatbelt and wow. we're going up and he goes up Fish Ranch Road and we're just sliding around roads. And I'm like going, how did I put myself in this position? I was very uncomfortable. And I started saying, can you let me out of the car? And they started laughing at me like, hey, you know, you know, stop being such a wimp. And I stayed in the car and and um, well, I had no choice. I wasn't going to jump out. But we went up and we turned around, we came down and we're, we're spinning around and sliding around turns. And finally we come out and we're sliding into the other lane and here's headlights right in front of us. And he swerved at the last minute, it hit the bank and we went up the bank and the car went upside down, was flying upside down. And I couldn't hold on to my seatbelt at that point. I started flying, flying like Superman, except I had no super cape on. <laughs> <laughs> that I know of. And, and I, I, you know, and, and in that moment, believe it or not, everything slowed down. It was almost like it was slow motion. I remember looking up at the car as I'm flying and I'm going, boy, that car looks heavy. <laughs> That's a random thought. And I hit the, the road and then the car came down and landed on top of me. Half of my body was outside the car. My lower half of my body had all the weight of the car on it. Wow. And I actually acted as a doorstop. If I had not had that happen, the car would have slid off and de- gone down, you know, because Fish Ranch Road just has a major drop off. So that's, wow. that's how it happened. Um, and I can go further, but I'll open up to ask whatever you want to ask. Well, at that point, uh, I, I gather you, you're, uh, you left your body. Well, all right. So, so yeah. I am, I'm lying there and then through this experience and I have no, no sense of time of how long this took or whatever, but all of a sudden I'm up above the car looking down at this body and the body seems so insignificant. You know, it was like that, you know, in the, in the scope of eternal life, you come in that body and you go on and it's just a, you know, just a part of you and you'll come again. You have other bodies. I mean, that was something that was very foreign to me. Let me just tell you that coming up as a dad was a chaplain. We, you know, we didn't talk about, well, we talked about eternal life, but we talked about, is there life's back here? And so a lot of what was being revealed to me in that moment. But as I looked down and saw that now nature 
became different for me. I mean, I've always loved nature, but it became more alive than that body. And, and, and I can't say that I saw a face or, you know, but all of a sudden I was in this, I just call it divine white light. That's all. It's all I can explain it as. And I know that I had a discussion of, I had a choice either go back in or stay out. And I know at that moment, I was like, I've got to go back in. I haven't completed my mission this, this lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I felt, yes. And so I was given that choice to come back in. The interesting thing is when I came back to my body, I thought because of this whole experience that I wouldn't have the pain. Oh my God, the pain was, <laughs> I'm like, wait, do I really want to be back in? I'm like, going, oh my gosh, it was so painful. And I felt you know, claustrophobic, not being able to move. And, and there was no one around, you know, it was, a you know, and all of a sudden I see a, a car coming and, and I see the lights and we're, Oh, good. Someone was coming to save me, but I realized they might not be able to stop. They finally, when they turned the corner and came up, it was screeching to the stop and the lights were right in front of me. Now this was very unique. The person got out of the car lit a, a flame right there. Who has a flame right there in their hands? Mm. He came running and went around the, the corner behind us because that didn't have any room. If any car came there, it would have gone right into the car. I would have been cut in half. I hear all this screeching. I hear all this stuff going on, but he stopped the oncoming traffic. Yeah. And then they started to work to get the car off of me. But before I would, we go, before yeah. we go there though, uh, I'd like to, um, I'd like to, talk for a minute about your the sense you had that nature was more alive than your body what how did how did that seem to you i mean well you, you know it was it was do you feel like you could talk to the trees or what was going I, mean, on? I hate to say yeah I, you know it was like that had a life and an energy force that god was a part of all of it it was a whole new realm of of, of like wow god's in every aspect and in nature there's an energy there's a strength there's an energy and you can actually Feel that strength that's beyond your own. There's an intelligence that goes far beyond anything I've ever known. There's an eternal wisdom that's in nature. That's not a concept I've ever had before. So, and it was like, yeah, we've watched these bodies come and go all the time. <laughs> well, and, and then when you were in the light, was the light right there uh, on earth with you or what did you travel to some other place? No, I, I was right there. I, I don't think I went anywhere place. If I did, I don't have any re- recollection of that. All I remember is being in this light and looking down at that body, how insignificant it is in the scope of life and how much more meaningful nature is. You know, that's, that's, the, that's what I, I take from that whole experience. So was the light then something that flow, was it God flowing out of nature? that uh, that you were wrapped up in could be you know i i you know, i because what i said is that everything became god nature uh-huh. became, you know it wasn't like a an entity with a beard and you know long hair all of it became god excellent excellent that's that's what i thought all right <laughs> <laughs> and and you felt you had made a commitment uh when later on you felt you'd made a commitment in order to come back here to st- to stay on the earth, uh, did you have uh, was that a dialogue or te- telepathic wish or how do you remember that? It was that? more about connecting to my soul's journey. Why did I come here in the first place? I mean, those aren't thoughts I'd ever had before. You know, that's mm-hmm. not an everyday thought. But in that moment, if I'm here, what am I here to do? 
Right. And, and so it, it was getting connected to that and, and, and saying, I'm committing to it. I'm committing fully to it. I know I have a mission to accomplish. I'm committing to it. Now, it took me a journey to get to where I am today, yes. but the journey was really interesting. But I feel like every aspect of the journey all led me to where I am today. If I hadn't, you know, every part, you, you know, I don't know if you want me to go further, but when I, I was at, at the time on scholarship for, to play football and baseball, I was always a great athlete. It was something that I loved. I had a lot of passion for. I worked hard at, but all of a sudden I may never walk again. And I remember praying to God when I was in the ambulance, when we, when we went to the, um, they took me to a hospital and then they decided with my injuries, they were so bad that they wanted to send me to Oakville Naval Hospital where they, where my dad was the chaplain. That was one thing, but also that's where all guys my age that were getting legs blown off or whatever in Vietnam, they all would fly them into Oakville Naval Hospital. So in the ambulance trip, when they, when I, the doctor said that, you know, I had internal bleeding, my hips were broken, legs were crushed, broken all over. So in that ambulance trip to Oakville Naval Hospital, I said, God, it's my sports that gives me the ability to do what I do. If I'm going to, I made this commitment, but I still need my legs. And, and this is something I haven't really talked about a lot, as you know, because mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it just, it's kind of mind boggling to me, but when they got to, when they got to Oak Knoll, they all rushed out, to get me in there. And they had been talking to uh, the Berkeley hospital and, um, and knew how serious this was. They couldn't find any broken bones and they didn't know what to do. And they kept, I was hearing the dialogue going back and forth. You know, do we got the wrong guy? He says, no, you know, and yeah, I was healed in that ambulance trip. Now, I was still banged up and I couldn't walk and my legs were all swollen. And, but I, I actually started laughing. I know that sounds crazy. Maybe it was nervous energy, but I'm going, you guys don't even have a clue what's going on. I went, wow, the magnificence of what God can do is beyond my wildest thinking before that. And so uh, your, your legs were crushed and, and then they yeah. were, the bones were completely healed. That's yeah, exactly. And so um, you know, you had asked me in a preview to this, you know, did you ever tell your parents? And I said, no, I didn't, but they knew they couldn't understand it, but we kind of almost like what just happened. Mm-hmm. They knew something happened, but we, we, I don't know, even with my dad being a chaplain and, and, and all that, we didn't, we didn't really talk about it. Um, it was such an amazing miracle. We, I think it was just, I think we're all just so overjoyed to being that I was alive that really took everything else away at that moment. And then, as you know, because I've told you this, I didn't tell a soul for 19 years. I was 19 years old. And it still was a question mark when I walk again. I was beat up pretty good. Um, They finally had to operate on my knee because it was I did find some damage there, but it's still all America. And I started to rehabilitate myself. I started playing tennis to kind of get movement back. I transferred colleges, went to San Diego State. Here I was playing football and baseball. Now, all of a sudden, I decided to be a walk-on in tennis. And I went on to earn a scholarship, then went on the world tour and played all over the world. 
And I think that was part of a journey that I needed to do because seeing the world opened my eyes to things I'd never seen before. I still wouldn't talk about what I was experiencing because I was experiencing things that I thought was weird, that I could communicate with the with souls on the other side. I didn't want anybody to know that. Uh, so I kept it to myself until my wife now of, we've been together 41 years. Um, we were at a church retreat and I'd always, back when it happened, I'd never heard of a near-death experience. So I didn't even have to, I, kept, I could keep denying what took place. It keep me in safety of denying it. And then um, we're at a church retreat and we broke off into groups of like six or eight and the group I was with had the minister, a Presbyterian minister. And all of a sudden he just goes, has anybody ever heard about a near-death experience? I went, oh gosh. Because you know, by that time, there was information about it, but I avoided it like the plague. And I went, I got to run. I started shaking. I said, I don't want to hear anything about this. I'm a normal guy. Come on. You know, <laughs> why I was afraid of it, I, I laugh at myself now, but all of a sudden he described almost to the T of what I went through. I sat there going, oh my God, I can't deny this anymore. This is real. And that started changing the way I looked and, and accepting the gifts that I've been given. I was given lots of gifts, but I've tried so hard to deny those gifts that I wasn't using them to my full ability. Well, one of those gifts was the gift of healing, wasn't it? Oh, and, uh, absolutely. I mean, and I, I think, uh, yeah, go I, I, well, go ahead. Uh, I was well, but what I was going to ask you about was um, when Daniel was born, if you could tell us that story. Well, I learned, you know, through this whole experience, I started um, having this dialogue with Jesus. I'd be woken up in the middle of the night and said, Let's let me explain some things to you and, and all this. And then on the healing side of things, you know, what was it? You know, if you look at the Bible, when there's a story about when Jesus came down and two disciples said, hey, you know, he healed the blind man. He said, why can't we do it? And he said, he didn't say, well, I'm me and you're not. He says, ye have such little faith. And the very next verse is with the uh, faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. What does that mean? That means that we all have this ability, but we deny it. And so I realize if I open to the healing process, so boy, when you talk about you putting on the line, I have four boys, blessed to have four boys. On the fourth, my fourth son went into a coma in the womb about six, seven weeks before he was to be born. And I got the message. I was in um, Omaha at the College World Series at the time, um, coaching and and, and that, and and. Uh, I got a message that, you know, there was problems and we had to go, I had, you know, I talked to the doctor and um, he told me that to save my wife, there was no chance for Daniel, save my wife in the next three or four days, they need to take Daniel out. I mean, I was like, you, you know, devastated. And um, so I got on a plane, flew right home and on the home, since I do this writing, I wrote with Jesus says, Daniel will be a true life miracle, but he has to come tonight. He, he will be the thing that will help you accept all that is here. And I wrote that and I was like, okay, I believe in these writings, but this is life and death. But how am I going to tell them that I can speak to God and we need to take out Daniel tonight? 
Well, when the plane landed, it was funny. I remember it was 530 in the afternoon. We lived up in Camarillo at the time. So we came over the uh, five freeway, no, 405 freeway. And it was like a parking lot. I just remember seeing that on land and my people went off. This is before we had cell phones. And, and I went to a pay phone. Remember those days? Yes. And I called and the message was from Kathy, my wife saying, they decided that it has to be tonight. So they've transmitted uh, Oxnard, I uh, think St. John's Hospital, because they have further equipment to deal with this situation. We, so we're going to do an emergency C-section at 720. And I thought, oh, my God, that's a parking lot out there. I'd never taken the coast route, but I thought I was just getting guided. I took the coast route. And even that can be busy. It was moving. And I was able to. And then in those days, without having GPS, I thought, where is this hospital? I'm going to have to stop at a, at a gas station and get a map, but I didn't have time. The funny thing is, as I came along the coast and it turns, it went right into the hospital. It was like, oh my God, I ran up the, st- you know, the elevator got up there. It was 720 when I came in and the doctors were there. I was so shook though, even though I had the writing, all the writings that I've had all have always been accurate, but this is life and death. This is my son, my wife. But when I came in, my wife was like, guys, we got this. Don't worry. We have this. And there was such a strength in her that I went, we got this. But they pulled me out into the hall and go, look at your wife doesn't get this. She doesn't know how serious this is. She just doesn't understand. I said, hey, we got this. It's okay. And they looked at me like, oh, you're, this couple is really a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, we go into, to, you know, they, they scrub me and I, you know, and all the stuff in the operating room and they take Daniel out. He's all deformed deep purple and not breathing. Now, this is my fourth child. We've never had a C-section. So I thought that doesn't look, there's some, you know, okay. And they take him over, they put an oxygen mask on him and they can't get him to breathe. They, and they give up. And Kathy goes, go save Daniel. I'm fine. And I knew she had such strength. I go, she's fine. She's making this through. And so I go over there halfway there. I stopped and I go, you know, this is so interesting that I say this, but I thought, oh, what are they going to think of me if I go do this? Imagine that. And then I heard my dad say, I took on machine gun fire for what I believed. What are you, 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 you're not going to take on the scorn of another person's words. I went, oh, come on. All right. And I went over and I put my hand on Daniel's leg. And I said, Daniel, I want you to feel my love. I want you to feel God's healing grace. And it was like electrical shock. He started breathing. He opened his eyes and he gave me this look. I'll never forget that look. It's like, dad, we got this. And then he went back into the coma, but then they rushed him into intensive care. They had all these tubes on him and everything. And the doctor came to me and said, look, I do not know what just happened, but he will not make it through the night. Just know that he, there's no way medically it's impossible to be having him alive right now. And Daniel flinched at that moment. And I said, look at, I don't understand medicine. I don't need to. That's a sign from God. He is going to survive. And we're going to build on those little things each and every day. Well, every day there was a new miracle that took place. Every day. And finally, after five days of miracles, after miracles, after miracles, we get called in the um, conference room. And a doctor we had met before comes in and goes, I, he was very deep voice. A German doctor said, I only come in in emergency situations. We don't think it's fair for a baby to be on life support their whole life. Kath and I looked at each other. We don't either. Take the life support off. 
He goes, you know what that means, right? I said, of course we do. Another miracle. <laughs> and he goes, oh, my God, these people are as crazy as they say they are. But they went in, they took the, <laughs> they took the life support off. And uh, they said, he said he wouldn't be able to swallow. So I went to the nurses. The nurses were really into what I was doing. Kathy says that's really where my coaching began, was in that hospital room. That's all the magic that's taken place over the years since then. And so um, uh, they were so into it. I said, look, let's just get one swallow if we can. So they got a little eye drop or whatever it is, you know, trying to get him to, but he doesn't swallow. So it looks like maybe the doctors knew and I'm not trying to dish the doctors. They only know what they're studying. They don't know the full scope. And all of a sudden, he swallowed. And you would have thought we won the Super Bowl. <laughs> we're all cheering. And I said, all right, next feeding, we're going for two. You know. And each day, he grew strength. And if you saw Daniel today at 24 years old, he is the gift of all gifts. You know, and he's totally great. I mean, he's a good athlete. Yes, he was in special education in school because he's behind on some things, but he has gifts like beyond gifts. And he's had some remarkable things, magical things that have happened because I'm very involved in pro sports. I mean, my gosh, um, if you, when I was working with the Dodgers, uh, Alex Cora, who's the manager of the uh, Boston Red Sox now, he was our second baseman. And I had told the Dodgers were all complaining. I said, hey, stop complaining. Let me tell you, Daniel, here's a kid that knows how to step into his full self. And that just moved the players so much. I said, when we go back, this is at spring training. When we go back, I'll bring Dan in the locker room. You stare into his eyes and you'll see what a champion really feels like. So Alex Cora grabbed him, looked into his eyes. (sighs) He looked at me and went, wow, and went out. And if you Google the top five uh, Dodgers experiences, you'll see where Al- Alex Cora that day fouled off 18 pitches. And then on the 19th, he had a home run to win the game. And it was so magical. But there, I, can, I have story after story um, in Major League Baseball and football where he, I bring him around. There's a, there's a special thing in Daniel. Hard to describe, but it's, it's, I know it. And it's, it's happened over and over. Uh, Ryan Braun, who plays Milwaukee Brewers, he set a record upon all records on a, more, on a day that I said, hey, Ryan, come, come get some of Daniel's love here. You'll do something special today. He had three home runs and a triple. That had never been done before. So anyway, those are just little tidbits from it all. Well, you, you told me that it inspired you to write uh, your book, The Unfinished Cross. Yeah, uh, I would have never talked to anybody about this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, with Daniel's experience, I just like, I, I have to share this. I don't care. And I had to think back, why am I afraid of writing this book? Hmm. You know, I've had success in my life. And, and why am I so afraid to really share how this has guided me. I get a guidance that we're all available to us, but most of us won't allow it to happen. So yeah, Daniel's book, I mean, the unfinished cross happened because of Daniel. He's only a chapter in the book, but it came a bestseller. It's called the unfinished cross. Listen to the voice within. And it was, um, for me, it was an interesting journey because people came to it in groves in new thought churches. I'd never heard of new thought churches. They'd come and go, Oh my God, this is the word of God. And so, you know, you have this, and I had book signings that went for two to three hours, but then mainstream Christians 
how I came up and grew up went, eh, this is, this is, you can't be talking to Jesus. I'm like, okay, I shouldn't be. I don't know. I just can't help it. You know? And so it was, you know, and then I'm, I get asked to do work, go with the uh, U S Olympic team to the world cup in Scotland. I'm about ready to get on the plane. And the head coach goes, Hey Dave, come here. I've read your book. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's changed my life, but don't tell anybody else about it. <laughs> and I became really self-conscious like, Oh, why did I write this book? Now I'm becoming one of the top mental gurus out there. And, and now they're going to find out that it goes way beyond just mental strength. It goes way beyond that. And I really became self-conscious about it. So I did everything I could to kind of try to bury the book, believe it or not. Wasn't it on that same trip to Scotland that God downloaded uh, game ready your, yes. your technique so, for coaching? You know, I think we should be able to talk to God anywhere, but at 35, 9,000 feet, I think maybe it's easier. <laughs> I don't know, but I'm on that flight across the, um, uh, the Atlantic ocean. And I always do this. So God, give me something. Can you give me something that will even beyond all my studies be all I'd already had great success, you know, in sports, but I really wanted it to, I always love to keep expanding. And I just listened. And that's where what's called the game ready happened. I gave a game ready before every match for our U.S. team. We had the best results in the history of that team in, in world competition. And I'm like, God, you're good. I came back and a friend of mine who was the pitching coach for the Dodgers, that's how I worked with him. He goes, hey, will you come do it with my pitchers? <laughs> I said, sure. And I did it with the pitchers. And then Jim Tracy, who was the manager of the Dodgers, goes, hey, can you do it with the whole team? That's 20 some years ago. And it has made me, separated me. I've had four um, MVPs for their teams in, in, in Major League Baseball. I've had first round back draft picks in the NFL. And it's all this game ready. And then I do it with uh, executives. I did it with, um, you know, Navy SEALs and Army Rangers when they're going to war. It, it just helps you get into that place where your mind doesn't get in the way and you're able to perform at your highest. I do it with business leaders before they have very important meetings. And it's just an amazing gift. But it's a gift that I just received. And we all have that ability, but we have to put ourselves in that position. I became a professional athlete because I practice. I practice daily listening to nature. I go out. I, I have over 200 trees on my property. I have a stream coming through. I have two waterfalls. I have pond, two ponds. I go out there. And, you know, Emerson said, true wisdom comes from taking a walk in the woods. And I don't know, you know, people ask, where did you find that? I'm not sure if I ever read it on Emerson or I would download it from Emerson, but I live that. And whenever I need that wisdom beyond the wisdom I have, I gain from it. I, I, I just open up to it. I've written three best-selling books now because of it. Um, a lot of different things that have happened. I had a hit, uh, you know, on, on the, on the radio. Um, it's just allowing yourself to be guided. Now, we, you talked about uh, the power of Daniel's eyes in sports. Um, if you would, tell the story about your mom's message to you through the NCAA college baseball yeah. game well, when, when she, the day she died. So, so um, we flew into San Diego, and they had just taken our hospice home. We knew there was only hours left. But I said, Mom, we can't get there till Friday. 
and it was really funny, you know, when we got there um, and my kids came in and we all came in and I remember the first thing she looked at me and she saw him, she goes, oh, I made it to Friday. I made it to Friday. I said, thanks, mom. You're awesome. You know, and I even gave her a game ready. I don't know if I told you that before because she's, I don't know how to do this. How do I pass on? And so I gave her a ready to kind of get her into a relaxed state. And, and, uh, and then that evening I said, mom, know that I'll be able to hear you. You know that you, you, you know, I, I finally opened up to her this ability that I had and she loved it. Uh, and, you know, at first she was freaked out, but then she opened up to it. I said, so give me, give me a sign that you made it. You're with Jesus. You're with dad. You're rejoicing. And so she passed at 4 a.m. that morning. It's still, as much as we were ready for it to happen, it's still so hard. But my two sisters and my brother, the four of us were there at four in the morning. And it was really special. And we spent all that morning until about 11. And I had this feeling like, okay, I just need to go be by myself now. My wife actually had left with, with my sons to see her mom who lives in the area. And I was there by myself. And I said, I just need to be by myself. And I thought, I'm going to drive to LA because one of my clients was in the college playoffs and they were playing at UCLA. And I knew I had to give him a game ready. And I thought, I just want to be there at the game. I need to do what I do right? So I was driving, usually a two and a half hour drive, I'm not like excited about, but there was just some peace in it. And I was just felt at peace. But when I talked to the player before the game, he was a really positive guy. But this day he was very uptight. And he was saying like, they lost the day before. And in the playoffs, you know, if you lose twice, you're gone. He said, everyone's so nervous just because we're in the NCAA playoffs. I said, Shay, you have all the ability in the world to score every run, to drive in every run. You're the quarterback of this team. You tap into yourself. They'll either catch fire or they won't, but you can do everything. You have the power within you. And we did the game ready. I got to the game. First time, they were down one nothing. First time he comes up, hits a two-run homer. So now they're at 2-1. Next time he comes up, there's two guys on base, hits a three-run homer. Now he's got five RBIs. I'm like going, wow, this is amazing. Next time he comes up, there's bases loaded. Gets a double, drives all three runs in. He now has eight RBIs. And I'm sitting there going, and all of a sudden the thought came to me. Mom, is this you? She loved what I did. I said, is this your message saying that you're there? You're, you've connected with dad and you're, you're the Jesus and the whole thing? You know, whatever God is for you. I don't want to put too much on. You know, my backing is, 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 is came up with Jesus, but I think at the core of faith, it's all the same, you know, it's all the same one God. So, but there was such a celebration that I felt and she's saying, yes, this is me saying I'm here. I went, wow. And then the thought came, she says, watch this. I said, watch this. Oh, and I look at, I look down at Shay, there's two players on and the very next pitch that was, I've been involved in major league baseball for years, coaching, you know, with the mindset I've never seen a ball leave the ballpark that fast and that gone. 11 RBIs, the most ever in the history of NCAA college baseball and playoffs. I started crying. And my, I'm sitting next to his dad, the player's dad. And I look at him and I said, hey, I don't usually cry when my clients set NCAA records. But you know what took place today. And I, I'm just telling you. 
And so, yeah, that was like, either you can just say this is all coincidence and it could be, but how can this really be coincidence? I mean, I've had so many of these stories that I could tell you that are off the charts, 11 RBIs. That's never been done. That's incredible. And my mom hearing that voice saying, yeah, watch this. And I just turned and watched one of the (laughs) best, you know, home runs I've ever seen in my life. Pretty amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Um, Yesterday when we were talking, you said uh, just two hours ago, I visited the light through prayer. Talk about how, uh, how an out of body experience can happen without a near death. Yeah. You know, um, so uh, there's a client of mine who's really deeply connected. He also had a near death experience and something. So I've been able to share that with him and he's been able to share with me. And we're, we are partners in something that we're going through something that can be very challenging right now. You know, our outer world always has ups and downs. Our inner world, if we always go to that and have peace, all of a sudden our outer world just changes in a magical way. And so yesterday he said, let's pray about it. I said, okay. But the type of prayer was just breathe and just go to that, that really pure light. And in that all of a sudden I'm back above my body. And I, I actually, it scared me a little bit at first. Cause I thought, do I have to, leave? I don't want to leave this. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I want to, I want to be here right now. I really feel like there's more for me to do. I was like, I'm in my zone. And, 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 uh, but I went in the, the voice. said, no, it's fine. You can be in this light. You can be outside your body looking down on it. So I'm looking down at the accident, which was quite remarkable for me to go to that. And then all of a sudden I was above my house looking down at me sitting there with my eyes closed. And, and I'm sure that sparked because of our conversation, you know, knowing we were going to have a conversation, I started thinking about, you know, what it took for me to say yes, even doing this, because, you know, as you know, in my life, I went on to play a professional sport. I was a world ranked tennis player. I've coached some of the best of the best. And it's something that I felt like, I don't know if I want people to know this. I'm changing. I'm like, yes, it's fine. They need to know what's available to all of us, all of us, no matter what. I mean, after the tennis career, I got, I went to Hollywood, got involved in acting. I was in major motion pictures, television. I had a hit on the radio. I've written three best-selling books. I was given the presidential merit award from the Grammys. So I've had a lot of what you would call success, but I've also had failures. You know, I don't want to, you know, but it's committing to being guided. And each part of that journey led me to what I'm doing today. And I do feel like that commitment I made, I'm living it fully. And I'm so grateful because some of the people who I get to coach have major influences on many. So I get by influence this person, it influences many people. So I really feel like I'm living my purpose. And on the other side of things, you you told me you've helped a lot of lost souls, spirits ah, that have come yeah. to you because they are don't know whether or not to go into the light or don't know enough to, about the light. Yeah, you're and, good. You're good, Lee. You brought, you brought out some things that I don't normally talk about. <laughs> but it's true for me. I just don't talk about it. But I have this ability 
to feel a presence, you know, and, and when I feel it, is that a negative presence or a positive presence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, it, at first, it kind of freaked me out. I'll be honest with you. And, and then I started recognizing that, you know what? There can be no darkness where there's light. If I turn off my light right now, it's going to be dark. If I, and close the, you know, see, it'd be dark. But if I turn on the light, the light's there. There's no darkness. So this whole concept came, if I always circle myself with a divine white light, I'm always protected. So I've been in situations, there was a gentleman that felt like he had all these lost souls because he had opened up to, you know, sometimes when you open, yeah, lost souls will come. But I showed him, I said, there's no more reason for you to freak out. Circle yourself with that divine white light. A soul will decide to either step in and be reborn into the light or run from the light. So I constantly circle this house. I circle myself so that, yeah, if a lost soul wants to come into the light, you're welcome. Come on in. <laughs> you know, because I know in the light, everything will be revealed. But are they will run from it. So, yeah, that's not something I talk about, but it's something I live fully. You told me a story about the women's conference in India and how you got a message from Jesus to start at the back of the room. Tell us that. Yeah, you know, it's really remarkable. It takes a lot of, I guess, trust and faith to, to be at that level. I'm, I'm in India at the Women's World Wellness Congress. There's about 3,500 people in the room, and they're televising it. And on stage, they have these big screens so that everyone can see. And I'm sitting there, and just before they're going to introduce me, the thought, it's just a thought, says, you need to start in the back of the room. And I don't even question it. Why? I remember I looked at Kathy and I said, Kathy, I was already hooked up with my mic. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to start in the back of the room. She looked like, what? I said, I said, yeah, I have no clue. So I go to the back of the room. I find a table back there. I stand on the table and on the screen, they have this introductory of who Dave Austin is, right? Actually, I, I cringe at it because it makes it me too big. And I'm like, oh, I never show it anymore, but they needed to find out, you know, and it does all the stuff that I've done in life and blah, blah, blah. But when it stops, they go, and now Dave Austin, right? And the, and the, screen, and the stage is empty and the cameras are on. All of a sudden, I start talking and everyone's like, what's going on? You could hear the buzz in the room. And all of a sudden, someone or the camera or something turned. They saw me on this table. I'm back there like this and I'm just giving it. And everyone turns and the cameras turn and everything. And I'm back there. And that at, and at one moment, all of a sudden, I just, I'm feeling so alive in this that I said yes to this. It was scary, but I said, I don't know why, but I'm going to do it. And I'm doing it. Then I jumped off the table and everyone in the back all came and wanted to touch me. It was kind of, and I'm trying to walk to the stage, but they're all, all just coming up and just touching me. That's all it was, just touching me. And I'm like, oh, and I just keep talking. I get finally get to the stage and I, you know, give the rest of my talk. And my wife, who can be critical at times, because she's seen me speak a lot, she's, but good critic, you know, she goes, that's the best, absolutely the best talk I've ever seen you give. And I went, yeah, I don't know what took over me. And I'm sitting there and this other gal came to me and she says, wow, that was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. It was like, how did you think about that? Because in India, you have classes, first class, second class, third class. Well, at this event, and I'm not them for not even thought, the third class were sitting in the back, the middle were the second class, and the people who got to sit in the front were, were, you know, 
first class, she goes, what you did is you made the third class feel first class. That's remarkable. I went, wow. She goes, wait, you didn't think about that? I go, no, I didn't. I just kind of got the message. That's where I had to go. But it really was remarkable. One thing my dad always said, at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. And I lived that in that moment. And it was very, very impactful for everyone there and very impactful for me. I, I think I told you too, I was speaking at the UN at the World, uh, at the world Summit. And, and I, I, I just, I go to this level of trust. I always say, Lord, I'm your instrument, lead me. You know, it's just because of that whole experience of the out of body, I've, I, I've accepted to go. I know if I just get quiet, I can be led. And all of a sudden I wrote on a sheet of paper right in front of me, said, um, I have a dream. I don't know. What does that mean right now? And all of a sudden they asked me, Dave, you've been involved with so many people in lives, changed their lives and successful business people, successful athletes. What's the key thing? And I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I didn't know what this I have a dream, man. And all of a sudden I go, I have a dream. And the whole, everyone, it was like, you know, it's all been pretty quiet that every, you just hear the whole room. Everyone sits straight up. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And I said, but a dream without action behind it, what does it mean? So I was able to go right into what I wanted to talk about, but it was like, I just allow myself to go there. But so often that's where all the magic comes from. And I just have learned Okay, you want me to do that? Fine, I'll go ahead and do it. And and all of a sudden it becomes a buzz because it goes, there's this intelligence that I feel in all of us that goes beyond our own intelligence. I call it eternal intelligence that's there for us to tap into. But we have so many blocks. I help business leaders, I help athletes get rid of those blocks. So they open to something that helps them be more in their life. And that's the gift that I guess I committed to when I was 19, not knowing and understanding that fully at that time. Now you have another gift that you don't usually talk about. It began with Jesus's here, go ahead. Oh gosh. Yeah. And the first time you heard it, I think you said you threw the, threw your pen I against I the, threw the pen. Wall. <laughs> I threw the pen. I told my wife, I said, I take me to some really padded room. I think I'm losing <laughs> it. I am losing it. And, and, and so she, but she fortunately goes, Oh, I'm intrigued by it. So I got woken up in the night every night and, and it would say, Jesus here, go ahead. And it was the most magical information that was coming. And then Jesus said, well, read the Bible with me. Let's talk about what's in there and bring it to today's real life meanings. I'm going like, oh man, I fall asleep when I read the Bible. I don't know. I don't get it. There's a lot I don't understand. But it went to the New Testament and I started writing. It just took on such a different feel to it. It was like, it took all the fear and the, uh, all the stuff that I think was put in the Bible to, you know, to bring you in. And it took it all. It was, it took everything into love and just took little difference. Like it says, don't be wise in your, in your own eyes. It says, and so in the writing, when I be wise in your own eyes, cause I'm with you. Okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense, yeah. right? 
But people think, oh, don't don't think me. I got to put I got to put somebody outside me has got to, you know, no, it's all within us. So those little shifts are pretty incredible. Were these corrections he was making to the text or were they um, elaborations to it? Elaborations and corrections. You know, and that's where that's why the mainstream Christians kind of denied the book. Now, here's the interesting thing. 20 years later, they open to it now. That's why I've got to do the, you know, bring out the new because now there's been an opening. There's a gal who wrote a book that became a very popular book, um, Jesus Calling. Christians love it. Mm. And it's not that different. Christians did not love it when I wrote it, you know, because I'm not a minister. I'm not this. I'm not that. It was just I was writing from a place. And I even say in the first part of the book, you know, if this moves you further from your relationship with God, don't read it. If it brings you closer, keep going. Because I'm not going to dictate to you what, what you have to believe. We all have the strength that we trust ourselves that we can be guided. And then you can resonate with people that you go, gee, this makes sense to me. I resonate with this. And others, you can go, is that really, does that really fit? You know, if you get quiet rather than just falling blindly. You said you write almost every day uh, and that you've been doing this since the 1980s or 90s. Then yeah. You've got boxes and boxes and boxes of text dictated basically by Jesus and others as well. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to convert all this to uh, print so the rest of us can can look at it. But one of the people you say also added to it was uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Yeah. And, and you sent me, you sent me one thing that, that you'd written that he pretty much dictated, I guess. I was just going to read one, one paragraph from it. All right, cool. Okay. I am consistently free. I conform to my willingness to be different. I live in no other time and space yet other times and places are a part of me in my present state. Where I am is nature. Where I am is truth. Where I am is all things. Where I am is God. I thought that was. I got chills on that, even though they're my words or Emerson's <laughs> words that came through me. I can't. Yeah. I, you just wow, that was amazing. Just for me to hear that from another voice. Oh, that's why. That's why you have to put this in print. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny. I, I told you yesterday too. This when I when I wrote that. Um, And I don't know if I told you why I wrote it. There was a gal that um, I was very involved in the music industry at one time in my life. And she really wanted me to her sing. And she was singing at a church. And it was funny that Sunday morning, we got there late. I missed her singing. But the sermon, it was a new thought church, you know, a church I didn't had not gone to before. And he was speaking like he had read my book and my book hadn't come out yet. I looked around and went, oh, my God. There's people who believe this stuff you know, because I was struggling with it. And then um, she asked me, though, we, we got and she says, I'm really struggling with I'm a wife. I'm a mother and I'm a singer. I don't know how to balance it. And that night, Emerson came through with what you, you with that that whole writing. Yes. Wow. And I gave it to her and it was like really impactful on her life. Then when I was back in. Concord, where Emerson lived, and I was at his house. I wrote a whole bunch sitting where he did all his writing. (laughs) I even, I didn't tell you this, but I went to, um, what is it, the the famous uh, cemetery there, and I put my hand on on his tombstone, and 
boy, I had my pen here and it just was like flowing. And there was a historian there who had read this piece that I wrote through Emerson. And he goes, where'd you get this? I said, well, he kind of spoke to me. He goes, no, 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 no. This Emerson wrote, where did you find it? I know all Emerson's work. I haven't seen this. And I said, well, it kind of came through. He says, no, that's not possible. Emerson wrote in a certain rhythm that no one's been able to capture. So you did not do this. Where did you find this? Well, <laughs> I don't know. I found it under the couch. You caught me. <laughs> you told me uh, just briefly, you didn't explain it. And I didn't ask yesterday, but you say, I have a council. What is that about? Well, uh, you know, so I had another near-death experience. So we didn't, you know, when I had a, a, a blood clot and yeah. I was laying there and as I was laying there and, I, you know, where do we get these influences? You know, Napoleon Hill said, you know, we all should have this council, right? I don't know if you've read Think and Go Rich, but he talks about it there. So does that spark something? Probably. I'm sure that we get sparks. But then as I'm laying there on another moment of maybe leaving this place, the council showed up and I'm, I, I just saw myself sitting at a table and Emerson comes and sits down. And then next to Emerson was Jesus. Then next to Jesus was Buddha. And then next to Buddha was Gandhi. And then um, Eleanor Roosevelt was next to him. I'm like, this is an incredible group. And then it came <laughs> across here and my dad sat down. And then uh, next to him was Steve Jobs. And, and then next to him was Einstein. And then coming back this way, John Lennon sits down. And then next to him is Mary Magdalene. And then next to him was um, the, I wrote a book called Be a Beast with Roger Anthony. Roger passed away before the book came out and Roger sits down. And then next to him is Napoleon Hill. And I go, okay, what is happening here? And I started asking questions to each of them. And it's so remarkable that each one has their own individuality, but it's all still part. Of, it's like, I would say like if internal life, you think of a pond and there's, there's, you know, drops, it's all these drops coming together. There's still a drop in the entire pond, but they still have a uniqueness about how they express themselves. So I started writing with them again, not something I talk about too much, but I did decide one time to open up to a, a group of people. I, I invited 24 to my house that I knew would be willing to accept. And I gave them the opportunity to ask any questions they wanted to. And my literary agent who, who studied Einstein like crazy, he would, he'd come up and ask these very complicated questions to Einstein. And I remember going like, I have no clue what this means. And I wrote, and whatever, what I wrote when I brought it out, he goes, so Bill's the name of my, my agent. He goes, Bill, we can have many great discussions. David doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. <laughs> and I, I said something and it was so interesting. Two weeks later, it was something that he brought up that two weeks later, they proved that Einstein, uh, they were really questioning something and they proved that what he did was real. And Einstein called it out to me two weeks before that happened. He says, watch what takes place and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, my agent, as hard as it is for him to like, like he, he kind of like 
this is real, but this is kind of freaky, <laughs> you know, but he, 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 you know, he would ask questions and everybody would ask questions and the answers were absolutely remarkable. So I did it for a short time and it was really um, a remarkable experience. Wow. Well, Dave, thank you so much. We're just about out of time, but I want to thank you for the sharing of the story of your NDE and how the gifts you receive changed your life and many lives around you and will continue right down the line. I know Uh, tell listeners how they can find your books. Okay. So, you know, Amazon has everything. Although I want to say on the, we talked about the unfinished cross, listen to the voice within that was done in 2000 and it was a bestseller, but it's like I said, I wanted to like, you know, move away from, but it keeps showing up. And so even though it's not still being published, it had so many books out there that you can buy it secondhand. So you can do that. I, you know, I, um, but the new uh, book will come out um, with what's taken place because of that book in the last 20 years. So you can go ahead and do that, uh, but be looking for the unfinished cross uh, to come out again, but it will have the magic that's taken place since the book came out. And, and so my, um, I'll give you my, my company's called extreme focus. I'll give you my email address. It's fine to reach out to me. And anybody does reach out to me. God gave me a process that I do. It's a five-step process that helps me to open up to that channel. I do that. And it gives me a clear opportunity to really hear I've taught. I have taught that to many and it's changed their lives completely. It's, I call it the process. So feel free if your listeners want to, it's D-A, well, actually do it to Dave, just D-A-V-E at extremefocus.com. And I'll send you free the PDF on that five-step process. Feel free to do that. You know, the other stuff that I have, programs that I have, you know, reach out to me. If you want to know more, I'm willing to talk to you. Yeah, I have a pretty busy schedule, but I think that, and you really opened the door a lot, Lee. I'm, I'm meant to fully share more um, of, of these experiences so others can rise into their own gifts and blossom more within their lives. Terrific. Wow. Listeners can also leave comments for you where this show appears on our YouTube channel at NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, YouTube. Thank you, Dave. Well, thank you. And you have to promise me you, what you just said. You got to promise me you send me that link because I've actually shared to a few people that I'm willing to share with and they can't <laughs> wait to hear this. So you got to share right. so I can bring them into your world. We certainly shall. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 450 archived ad free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE Radio channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE radio library. Be sure to check out our NDE radio Facebook page. Just search NDE radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app and listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at talk zone for more NDE radio. I'm your host Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.